Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Uncast. As usual, I'm your host, Jonathan Panazzo, and I want to start off today's episode by spending a few minutes talking about Intel's Alder Lake CPUs. So a few days ago, Intel made some pretty big announcements and opened up to pre-orders for their 12th generation processors. In addition, Intel also participated in a Reddit AMA and Ask Me Anything uh, recently where they answered a bunch of additional questions. So what's the, the skinny on this new CPU? Uh, So first and foremost, we have to talk about the new performance versus efficiency processor architecture. So Intel traditionally, when they make a CPU up and through now, um, the main things that you're paying attention to is core count, thread count, and clock speed. And then ancillary, you're also caring about things like memory speed, maybe PCIe generation, uh, you know, how many PCIe lanes are there. So you might have, you know, some concerns or some consideration for that other stuff. But generally speaking, when it came to the CPU, you know, we didn't really ever think about the idea of having different types of CPU cores in a single processor. But this this is changing now. So uh, what this really uh, comes down to is that Intel is ditching the traditional approach to CPU design where every core is the same. Instead, they are including performance-centric cores and efficiency-centric cores on the same CPU. This is kind of similar to how ARM designs a lot of its processors for mobile devices, where they'll have high-power and low-power cores. Now, for traditional desktop usage, this new architecture really shouldn't create any kind of complexity for users themselves. In fact, Windows is even including a new scheduler called the Thread Director in Windows 11 that makes sure that all their Lake CPU cores are utilized correctly. And that basically means that there's some software running that makes a decision as to whether or not a particular process belongs on a performance-centric core or an efficiency-centric core. And I'm not really sure what black magic they're using um, to make those determinations, but let's just assume that they've done their jobs right and that it's going to work correctly. Uh, but I'm, I'm more interested in how this is going to affect virtual machine usage, that especially those using uh, VFIO and GPU pass-through. And I I don't think that people using traditional, what what are called headless VMs, which are not passing through physical devices, I don't think those are going to have a problem. Because, you know, this, we'll just take a minute to deep dive on on how the virtualization technology works and what changes specifically about how it works when you decide to pass through a graphics device. So with a traditional headless VM, you can do a lot of things that um, you can't do with a... Uh, gaming VM, okay? And one of those things is you don't have to pass through the entire CPU or host model of the CPU. Uh, You don't have to isolate cores uh, from being used by other aspects of the system. You can kind of treat it similar to Docker, where you can overlap core assignments. In fact, you don't even have to do core assignments. So like, so much changes when you're not doing a local desktop user experience with gaming um, and, and just using a generic uh, uh, virtual machine. And so what happens in that, that setting is you decide a certain number of, of virtual CPUs, vCPUs, that you're going to assign to that particular guest. And then Linux actually determines where those CPUs, where those virtual CPUs need to live in terms of the physical. But it's not a one-to-one mapping. So you know maybe uh, you start doing something in that VM and it's utilizing the physical, logical CPU zero that's on the motherboard, right? But in the virtual world, that CPU zero could be uh, CPU one, CPU five, CPU eight, and 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 not only that, but these virtual CPUs that have different numbers, they can jump around to different physical CPUs as well. And you just let Linux and the hypervisors, you know, manage all of that. When 
you want to do a gaming VM, this doesn't work. And the reason this doesn't work is that it, it really comes down to that local performance experience. You know, you don't want any choppiness or or lagginess when you're interacting with the operating system at a local level, meaning a keyboard, a mouse, a monitor. And that's especially true if you're playing a game. And so you don't want um, your virtual CPUs jumping to different physical CPUs at random uh, because in that setting what will happen is it'll cause context switching on the CPU, which to the user in a game, that'll manifest itself in the form of very choppy, janky gameplay, like like hitches. It'll look like, if, if you're familiar with the term hitching, that's exactly what will happen as a result of not isolating and pinning those cores. So that's why for gaming VMs, we do that. We, we isolate cores. We tell people to isolate cores. Technically, you don't have to, but you could see hitching as a result. And then once they're isolated, we pin them to that VM. And then we expose the natural functions of those physical CPUs directly to the virtual machine as opposed to masking it and using some generic virtual CPU driver uh, to handle that. And so this is really important because if you don't do those things, you will have a bad gaming performance experience when working within a VM. Now, again, up and through now, we really haven't had to, to play too many games, uh, no pun intended, when it came to uh, assigning these things. We, we basically figured out you know, you have to assign the logical thread pairs, and this goes back to hyperthreading. So if you have a CPU that's hyperthreaded, that means that you have two threads for the one core. And what's important is that if you're going to create a virtual machine, you want the, the, the cores, the thread pairs, sorry, the thread pairs to be assigned together to each virtual machine that you're going to assign them to. So what you can't do is take a CPU, take a single core on that CPU that has two threads, and assign one of those threads to the VM and another thread to another VM or a different process altogether. That will also create inefficiencies and will potentially cause hitching problems because even though logically to Linux, it's presented as two different cores, two, two different logical CPUs, we know that that's because of hyperthreading and we know that in reality, there's still one physical CPU presenting two logical cores that are really just threads, right? So... This is a convoluted explanation, I know, but the long the long story short here is that when you pin a set of CPUs to a virtual machine and you isolate those CPUs to that virtual machine, we get really good performance. What is the concern relating to Alder Lake is that now that we have this performance-centric CPU and then we have this efficiency-centric CPU, and let's be clear – the efficiency-centric CPU is kind of built like an Atom processor, right? In fact, it's based on that, that technology, whereas the, the performance one is based on traditional core, Intel core processors. And that's why they I think they talk about this as Golden Cove, and um, I'm forgetting the name off the top of my head, but there's there's two different – oh, Gracemont. Gracemont's the other one. And so the, the challenge here when it comes to virtual machines is whether or not we're going to have to play these games with these – what are called P and E cores, performance and efficiency cores. So what I'm not sure of is whether or not, hey, I'm going to create a VM. This is going to be a gaming VM. Do I just assign the performance cores and not the efficiency cores to that VM? Or do I assign a little bit of both? And then on top of that, when we create a virtual machine, on top of the CPUs that you assign and pin to that virtual machine directly, there's additional CPUs that are used to emulate the components that are running in that VM. And those CPUs are not the same CPUs 
that you're pinning to the VM. So that's something that's running off the host. Same thing applies to memory. So when you you create a VM, you assign it 16 gigs of memory. You might think, oh, great, so that that's 16 gigs less memory for the rest of the system then, but, but that's okay if I have 24. That means I have eight remaining. Not really, because on top of the 16 gigs of memory that you're assigning directly to the VM itself, you also need to have a chunk of memory reserved for the emulation of those additional components like storage controllers, network controllers, you name it. Um, so we, we've had to deal with that kind of stuff in the past. But with these new PE cores, there's a lot of questions that I'm not getting answers to just yet on how that's going to work with virtual machines and performance experience. Now, what, what I could hope for is that maybe we could just assign the performance cores to your gaming virtual machine and assign the efficiency cores to all of the other server applications that you're running on your system. That would make a lot of sense to me. And it would be a very interesting way um, to go about building these systems and assigning these resources. Uh, but until we get our hands on these things ourselves, we're just not going to know. Uh, another thing that's important to note about the architecture on these things is um, how these uh, P&E cores work with hyperthreading. I think I mentioned this a little bit, but essentially the hyperthreading only works on the P cores and it doesn't apply to the E cores. So there's um, technically there's going to be six total chips six different CPUs available for purchase here. There's two in the, two high-end, two mid, and two low. The highest-end chips are going to feature eight performance cores that'll support hyper-threading, and then they'll also have eight efficiency cores, which means you'll have a total of 24 threads on the highest-end chips. The mid-range chips are going to feature eight performance cores, but only four efficiency cores, and the low-range chips will have six performance over four efficiency. So again, because of, of the nature of how the, the hyper-threading works, that means that, again, 24 total threads on the highest-end chips, 20 on the mid-range chips, and 16 on the low-range chips. Now, on top of, of this new performance and efficiency architecture, uh, all of these chips will also support PCIe 5.0 and DDR5 memory. And the main thing that I'm interested in with PCIe 5 and DDR5 is uh, people utilizing more and more uh, NVMe storage and how much you can actually get to jam through that those PCIe lanes uh, considering the increased bandwidth. So that'll be another interesting test once these systems are fully available in the market uh, is what people can do with, with really extreme configurations with lots of really high-end, high-performance storage. So... Um, Another major point of consideration with these new processors is how they're going to compare to the current, what, what many consider to be the current flagship CPU on the market, which is actually the AMD Ryzen 5950X. Now, I'll be perfectly honest here. I've not been a fan of Team AMD for quite some time. I, I felt like their CPUs have dragged behind for a long time, and they only kind of shoot into the limelight for brief periods with releases like the original Ryzen and Threadripper. But I got to say, the 5950X has turned my head quite a bit. Uh, a couple of friends of mine recently built new rigs based on that CPU, and I got to say the performance is pretty amazing. Uh, so the real question is how Alder Lake will shake things up in the market. You know, from a pricing perspective, the 12900K CPU is about 100 bucks cheaper on Newegg right now than the 5950X. But as many have commented, it's typical for AMD motherboards to be um, a bit cheaper than Intel. So many would consider the $100 difference kind of a wash. So the truth is, is that until people like our good friend Linus from Linus Tech Tips get their hands on these bad boys, 
we just won't really know who the new king of price for performance really is. Um, so again, what's what's unique for us and our community of users is, is that traditionally we've heavily encouraged the usage of Intel CPUs for use cases that involve VMs and GPU pass-through. And while I'm confident that this should remain with these new CPUs, uh, I am eager to test this ourselves to see if we can if we need to be a bit smarter about core assignments with VMs now. So if you manage to get your hands on one of these systems before us, please feel free to connect with me on Discord and tell me about your experience. I'd, I'd really like to know. Um, availability on these things is going to be really tough. Like we tried, couldn't get them on day of, and they're already sold out today. Um, so I'm not sure when we'll be able to get our hands on one directly, but... Hopefully sooner than later, because I, I really am eager to see how these things work. And, um, you know, my hope is, is that they'll do even better than the previous generation. So, okay, so next subject um, that I do want to talk about, and I know not everyone's going to care about this because I got a new phone. Uh, so I got uh, the Pixel 6 Pro, and I, I, I got to talk about it because I've been a Google, Google-branded phone user ever since the Nexus 5 came, back, uh, came out back in uh, 2013. And then I upgraded that to the Nexus 6, and then years later upgraded that to the Pixel 3 XL. And I just, I love the cleanliness of the OS when Samsung, LG, and other manufacturers can't add their own software to the mix. I really hate it when they do that. For me, native stock Android is my favorite way to experience Google's mobile OS. And the Pixel 6 Pro delivers that amazingly. Um, The biggest things I've noticed so far about my new phone are mainly relating to performance. This is the first time... My Android device really does feel as smooth and crisp as my wife's iPhone. You know, she we, this is a divided house between Apple and Google here, and and I always, she always calls it a crap droid, and I always call her, you know, say that she's got a crapple cry phone, and we just we love to bash each other about it. It's fun, but I have I do have to admit I've always envied the iPhone's ability to deliver a smooth user interface regardless of what the apps are doing in the background. And I finally feel like I, I really have that with this new device. You know, the screen's 120 hertz refresh rate. And this is the first um, Google product or Google mobile device that features their new Tensor uh, CPU that's in here that is super efficient. And it's it's kind of similar um, a similar idea to what's happening with Alder Lake, right? So technically, there's... Um, there's a full-blown CPU and a, a tensor in here, and there's a little device that makes a determination as to whether the particular job that needs to be done is better suited for tensor or better suited for traditional. And so it's kind of similar to what Alder Lake's doing. It's kind of similar to what everyone's doing nowadays, which is is having two different kinds of, of processors to handle different workloads. So I just know that from a user experience perspective, it just works really, really great. Um, I've been super happy with the performance, super happy with the cleanliness of the interface. Um, the new Android 12 Material U uh, design stuff is is neat. It's nice. I don't really care. I, I know there's some people out there that get really like excited when they do stuff like that. I I have a lot less care about you know little things like changing the the color palette of the backgrounds and stuff like that to match my imagery. I care a lot less about that, and I care a lot more about function. And so, like one of the new things that they added is the ability. Um, it's called they call it magic eraser. It's a new feature that's built into the camera. And so, if you take a picture and there's something in the background, like a person in the background that you don't want in the picture, you're supposed to be able to use magic eraser to take them out of the picture. Now, the demonstration that I saw of this on uh, uh, their launch video was really amazing. Like it, it just it was perfect. In practice, in me playing around with it, 
it needs some work. It still leaves like like little outlines of people and the shadows of people. Like you can still see some artifacts in the image. So does it work fairly well? Yeah, it works fairly well. Is it perfect? No. Is it quality enough that I would use it and then consider printing that picture out or using it somewhere? No. And that's the big that's the big one, right? So I, it just feels like a feature that's kind of in beta right now that people get to play around with, but it doesn't fully work or do what it's supposed to do just yet. So maybe in time we'll we'll get there. Uh, but I don't want to spend too much time boring you guys with all the technical minutia because, to be quite honest, there are plenty of people that have released full and thorough reviews on YouTube now that the uh, embargo period is over. So all I'll say is that if you're an Android user and you want high-quality hardware but you want a stock Android experience, get yourself a Pixel 6. You will not regret it. Um, I, I recommend the Pro. Uh, I got mine for... I believe mine was nine ninety nine because I went with the or no eight ninety nine sorry I got went, went with eight ninety nine model which is the one hundred and twenty eight gig model, um, uh, for the Pro series. But what's even more amazing and uh, another YouTuber by the name of MKBHD he did a review and he talked about this too is that the Pixel Six not the Pro, it's just slightly smaller and yeah it does have some other things less hardware like it's a ninety hertz refresh instead of a one twenty screen and things like that. But the performance on that device is still phenomenal, and the price point is crazy. Five ninety nine starting price point for the base Pixel Six is pretty amazing for what I would call a flagship phone. I mean, it's it is a it is an amazing device. Um, so yeah, I really encourage it. If you're a Google fan, go get yourself one. Um, I don't think you'll you'll be disappointed. So that's actually going to wrap it up for today's episode. I know this was a bit of a shorter one, but there wasn't too much to cover this week other than the big news from Intel. I do want to mention that the guys at Ebercorp have put out a new video on how to set up a secure web application gateway as a reverse proxy solution for your server. The actual container being used for that project is from our friends over at linuxserver.io, uh, but the Ebercorp guys have done a great job of showing you how to fully set this thing up from beginning to end, along with some really good tr tips and tricks along the way to optimize the configuration. So make sure you check it out. We will see you guys on the next episode.